It's Mom Zone. Breaking news, the Fremont family declares where they're going for back to school. The Fremonts are going with Academy. Uh, Mrs. Fremont, why Academy over another store? When my kids say they'll never use math in the real world, I just show them how low my Academy receipt is. You have any other thoughts? Look, back to school is a numbers game, and numbers don't lie. Nobody starts your season with better brands and lower prices than Academy. Academy Sports and Outdoors. For all, for less. Price match guarantee details at academy.com. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Shirley Millis. She is a longtime business writer, travel writer, and newspaper columnist who had traveled the world, interviewing everyone from busboys to head of international organizations before launching a career in public relations in Washington, D.C., Shirley and I will be discussing her recently released memoir, Bang Up Heart, Dancing with Love and Loss. Good morning, Shirley. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? Oh, good morning, Johnny. I'm doing very well. As you know, I'm in, in, in Santa Fe or just outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico. The skies are blue. It's a great day. Fantastic. It is wonderful to have you on the air with me. Bang Up Heart is a beautifully written book about the power of relationships, the nature of love, and the meaning of life. Thank you so much for sharing such a beautiful personal story. Well, you're welcome. I, <laughs> I, I started writing it for myself initially, mm-hmm. and then, uh, and then uh, my goddaughter, who's an author in her own right, read the first 60 mm-hmm. pages, and she said, Surely other people will be interested in this. And I thought, Really? Well, I better go the distance and make it worthwhile. <laughs> wonderful, oh. wonderful. So let us start by getting to know you a little better. Please kind of give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Wow. <laughs> All right. This is, I'll try to <laughs> be quick because, well, um, I grew up, uh, my childhood was in Northern California in a small town, Calusa, which lies on the banks of the Sacramento River sort of an agricultural oasis. After I graduated from Calusa High School, I traveled with my parents to Tunisia, uh, where my father had an assignment with the State Department. And I was there for a year in Tunis and then returned to the States to go to Vassar College in upstate New York. So after I graduated, I worked for a while as a cocktail waitress at Lake Tahoe. I was trying to get together money as much as as quickly as possible so I could travel, and that seemed sort of an obvious way of doing it. Um, So, um, and just before I left, I wanted to meet up with a a college roommate who was in Paris perfecting her French with the idea of becoming a foreign service officer. And just before I left, my father suggested I introduce myself to the publisher of the Tahoe Daily Tribune. Well, I did. I, he said, my father said, you like to write. Why don't you talk? And so I, I met him, and he, he, I heard nothing. I said, I'm traveling to Europe. I'd like to write stories while I'm there. Would you be interested? Heard nothing from him. So 
I left my, this is the days before computers, so I left my heavy mm-hmm. portable typewriter at home, and when I got to New York to get on this ship, the SS France, there was a little telegram from him in my room saying, we'll accept stories, uh, send bio and photo, ASAP, press credentials will be waiting for you at American Express in Paris. And, and he said, I will pay you 25 cents an inch. <laughs> I said, wow. <laughs> I was so delighted with the whole thing. But, but you know, there went a chunk of my hard-earned money into yeah. buying a typewriter. So uh-huh. in any case, that was the beginning. I, I, and I stayed away. I stayed in Europe. I, I went very to Greece, Lebanon, um, and various places. And I was gone for two and a half years, as it turns out and returned to L.A. to see my brother, who was uh, going to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I ended up, uh, I, I worked in a hospital as administrator of a birth defect center, and then uh, in another position at that hospital, uh, in St. John's Hospital in Santa Monica. Uh, and then I moved to San Francisco, and it was in San Francisco, where I had the worst, one of the worst jobs. I was a secretary. <laughs> I was a terrible secretary. <laughs> but uh, I, I had interviewed for a job with Blue Cross of Northern California as a writer. And in any case, um, I, was, I, I got the job, and which was sort of my first official writing job. I had written a, a little when I was in L.A. for a, uh, a medical enterprise group. Um, and then I, I went to Washington, D.C. to marry my first husband. And again, mm-hmm. I worked at Blue Cross, but then I sort of made a transition to uh, life and health insurance associations. Again, as a writer, and after a few years, I was promoted to editor and then manager and became vice president of public relations for these two associations. And then, thanks to McKinsey and Company, I lost my wonderful job. <laughs> <laughs> along with about 25 other people at PR. <laughs> and, um, and I went to work for Nordstrom for a while, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then sort of got back into it. I, and I, got, I worked for the Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority, which operates national, Reagan National Airport and Dulles International Airport. I was in community relations. And, um, and then in my... After the death of my first husband, I, uh, I ultimately remarried, and John, mm-hmm. who is the subject of my memoir, and two years and one week after uh, we were married, he, he died of a rare cancer. Um, the, he, I, at the time, uh, I was living part-time in Santa Fe. He had introduced mm-hmm. me to Santa Fe and part-time in Reston, Virginia, where I thought I would live the rest of my life. But um, as I was nearing the com- first draft, completing the first draft of my mm-hmm. memoir, through a well-intentioned friend, I met um, Frank Hirsch, a widower mm-hmm. from Chicago, and uh, it, it was it was it was not a good first meeting. It was not a good first <laughs> meeting, but but somehow we we overcame that, <laughs> and. and uh, and we and we did get married, and it's been really mm-hmm. quite wonderful. I had no children uh, with either of my previous husbands. They had no children. I had no children. And suddenly, I acquired a family. Three mm-hmm. grown. Mm-hmm. I had three grown children, six grandchildren, 
and um, it was an adjustment for everyone. <laughs> it was an adjustment for me, but it's enriched my life, and it's they've been very good. So that's sort of, and I and here I am in Santa Fe, New Mexico. <laughs> Who knew? Fantastic. I didn't even know the Southwest when I was growing up in California. All our <laughs> relatives were in Oregon and Washington, so we never went east. <laughs> oh. oh, God. Very, very interesting. Wonderful, wonderful summary of your life. When did you realize you enjoyed writing? You know, Johnny, I think that it was in the eighth grade that I wrote this little article for our graduation newsletter and as i remember it was sort of a satirical piece and i don't think i even knew the meaning of the word satire then but that's what it was i mean i had the teachers out in the playground playing tetherball and soccer and and i don't know it was just it was it was funny and it was meant to entertain so i enjoyed that but i didn't really pursue that kind of writing uh, i that's when i first knew i enjoyed it you did business writing, and then you did travel writing. Yes. How did you yes. make that switch sort of back and forth? Because I'm sure business writing, you can express yourself up to a certain point about your personal opinion, but then you are merely a conduit of information versus travel writing would be something that, in your opinion, what fascinates you? Yes, I think you've hit it. Um, I think in business writing, I was really a conduit. I mean, I was so often listening and reading uh, the the remarks of speakers and then pulling from that the nugget of what I thought they were saying and then supporting that and sending out press releases or writing for publications. Um, so it was, it, I would, you know, that was meant to inform readers of what what was being said and the travel writing was just it was a very nice release in one sense because it i could use more of my senses you know taste mm-hmm. uh and uh feel all of this and as you say express express myself it, it's it's to a degree subjective but again mm-hmm. you're supposed to you know clarity and and some degree of balance are called for and uh it it wasn't i, I it, it was different, but I, I was able to sort of go back and forth because I did the travel writing when I was doing business writing as well. But, you know, not a, not simultaneously, but during the yeah. same time span. Yes. Very interesting. At your prime, when I say this respectfully, we are all at our prime at any given time <laughs> in any year of our lives. But at your prime in terms of the times where you were traveling Prime in writing, I think you understand what I'm talking about, because that is during the period of time where the United States was going through a tumultuous time in terms of the war and so forth, and the sense of a new resurgence of identity. How has your writing expressed those sort of sentiments? Oh, I, you know, I think, uh, I think my writing was more or less contained. It wasn't... um, Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was when I was the the uh, Tahoe traveler, I had the column. I I had been asked to interview people my age and heads of international organizations, and mm-hmm. I was really sort of unaware of political situation. Well, 
I mean, this is a long time ago. Kennedy was uh, the president. I mean, everyone loved him. The French even loved us then. Right. Jackie and all of that. And then um, subsequently, uh, and then then it was a long time after it was, then we jump ahead to another another time when I was doing Mm -hmm. a lot of of travel writing, and it really was not politically tinged at all. I mean, I would mm-hmm. go, I would be in Spain, Italy, um, and just focused on, um, you know, what I was seeing, where I was staying, and interviewing uh, uh, hotel hostel uh, keepers, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and just reporting reporting on those yeah. experiences with the idea of encouraging. I mean, it, you know, letting people know what my experience was like there. And, you know, with the these, these were in travel columns in newspapers across the country, so presumably, you know, people got an idea of whether they would want to go or not. Right, so. right. Obviously, at that time, there is a sense of eagerness, too, to really visit across the pond and elsewhere, because that's the period of time where Peace Corps was at its best. And there's a certain amount of eagerness that people like to travel and see. Yes, yes. It, yeah, there was no, there was no fear. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I was never fearful. Uh, I wasn't going into to uh, what were any things that were considered uh, dangerous. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was just uh, a nice. It was a, it was a good time to be able to to see new things. And I really loved. I think it was when. Uh, when I went to Tunisia, at, you know, mm-hmm. at the age of 18, that sort of wet my, whetted my appetite for travel. I really wanted mm-hmm. to see as much of the world as possible. So. Wonderful. What made you decide to launch a career in public relations? Well, Johnny, I've got to say, I, don't, I never decided to do that. <laughs> it just... <laughs> it, I never did. It just sort of happened. I really... You know, at one point, I was a liberal arts major. I was a history major in college, which didn't prepare one for any particular career. Uh, but at that time, there were jo- lots of there were jobs. I just don't remember being. I knew that I would be working, but I I wasn't concerned about at what. And uh, but I think it was it was after I after I left St. John's Hospital. Uh, and got a job with a, a Pacific Coast Medical Enterprises, which is a publicly held company that had a new hospital at the time called Century, Century City Hospital in L.A., and they were promoting this. And uh, so I was, in, I was in PR at that point. And then when I went to San Francisco, I, I worked for Blue Cross of Northern California. Again, I was hired as a writer in PR, and I just kept – uh, and that was sort of the beginning, and it just I kept writing, and uh, the type you know newsletters and other kinds of things that businesses are putting out. Mm-hmm. And my, in a way, my portfolio grew, and so that when I went from sort of the not-for-profit Blue Cross Blue Shield environment to the for-profit health and life insurance associations they were doing the same thing i mean they were they had similar uh lots of writers and most of the people i worked with in the writing area for these associations had been journalists of of notable newspapers um 
so in so that's that's how it happened. It was just a, a gradual con- growing concentration of of the writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, very very interesting. It's not just writing. I mean, as I got into management, it was mm-hmm. it was more than that, more than writing. But I I did enjoy the writing part of it a lot. I'm fascinated about the fact that during that era, and I say that with all due respect, people just don't realize that is the transition, actually, in terms of people are so hungry for information, like the cliché is word, and in many ways it's true, the pen is mightier than the sword. So people were eager to read quality stuff that tells them about the world and things. They want to be educated. I hope they still do. <laughs> I hope they still do. <laughs> you know, that's questionable now, I can tell you that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I think you know what I'm talking about, because there's a sense of an exploring attitude in terms of wanting to know more about our neighbors, not in a bad way, that is. <laughs> but just right, wanting to know. Right. Not, not yes. out of fear or, or, or suspicion. Just Eagerness. like, what's yeah. going Curiosity. on? Curiosity. Yes, curiosity. I think you're. I think you're right. And yeah. I think, so that's the interesting part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, certainly, I was curious. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I. But you know, it's it's all different. My brother said, he said, "I don't understand why you want to travel and do all of this." He says, <laughs> "I have everything I I need right here in my backyard, my house." Right. <laughs> you know, we right, were totally right. different, as though we were hatched out differently <laughs> different precisely so, yeah yeah it's just funny people do people are are individuals right right well now it's different because if i do want to know something halfway around the world all i need to do is just google it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. google knows everything right there you and, go. and it knows it, it doesn't know what it doesn't know that's the other thing. that's right that's right. Oh, my. It's a little bit different versus uh, waiting for Shirley's article, Shirley's story coming from Asia or in Africa or in Europe. Uh, it's a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't have to. We don't, she doesn't have to go there anymore. <laughs> oh, goodness. So true. Mm. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitcher Radio. Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest is Shirley Merlis. She is a longtime business writer, travel writer, and newspaper columnist who had traveled the world interviewing everyone from busboys to heads of international organizations before launching a career in public relations. Shirley and I are discussing her recently released memoir, Bang Up Heart, Dancing with Love and Loss. Shirley, why did you decide to write Bang Up Hot? Well, Johnny, I um, uh, after the death of my second husband, I I felt blindsided. I I I I was widowed twice in four years, mm-hmm. and I just had to figure out what had happened to me. And so often, writing helps me see more clearly. So I just started writing, and. Um, you know, at first, at first, I was just sort of celebrating our relationship, and but then, as I got started, I became wiser. I think more curious and more demanding, and I was curious about John's behavior. Uh, I wondered whether 
he had kept the severity. He told me about the cancer when we first met, when I had no idea I would ever see him, see him again. It was just a very chance meeting over Christmas holidays um, in his brother's kitchen. I, in any case, um, I just I wondered if he had kept the severity of his illness a secret from me mm-hmm. intentionally. Mm-hmm. And so I was determined to confront the questions that I'd never asked him. So in the end, uh, extolling the relationship was not nearly so important as getting as close to the truth as I could. Well, the good news was going into it, it seems like, and I really applaud people for doing that in terms of, in this case, when we talk about building a relationship, it's full disclosure. Oh, yes. So that you yes. can make well, an informed important. decision. It, 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 it's important. And mm-hmm. um, yes, and I, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's the, that's sort of the basis of a, of a solid mm-hmm. relationship. I think, right. because you right. see other, some relationships that are, are not based on right. that. Right. But, you know, to John's credit, he, he, I was aware of it. I just, I, you know, and I was probably a little blind myself about mm-hmm. things. Well, situations create emotions and so forth. But what I like about it is that when we talk about relationships and so forth, a lot of times, well, I don't know you that well. Let's wait till six months, a year from now. And by that time, to me, one would have had a lot of emotional investment in it. One get blindsided in some ways or say you're already on a different track of thought. That's, that's so, you know, um, Johnny, when, <laughs> when I was, um, I was really swept up into this whirlwind courtship and mm-hmm. uh, I pummeled John with questions, uh, but not yeah. about his health. I mean, he was right. so positive about his health. Uh, I was concerned right. about our differences. I mean, he was an honest-to-goodness rocket scientist, <laughs> and I'd nearly been done in by algebra. I mean, my <laughs> high school principal who tutored me used to call me, laughingly call me, Euclid Mellis. I mean, it was mm-hmm. <laughs> So John just laughed it off. He said, oh, I could imagine being yeah. involved with a scientist and just consider that something odd I do in my math and science, something <laughs> odd I do in my work. I have lots of other interests. And he yeah. did. <laughs> well, very, very interesting. I mean, I agree what you're talking about because that's when we're looking at those are the odd side of the equation. But then love is not about one plus one equals two. It's about one plus one equals three. Even though you guys have a short period of time together, but the equation in this case, is one plus one equals three. Not necessarily a child, but three. It drew the yes. best out of you. Yes, it's a good a good view of it. I think when people are in relationships, it's hard yeah. to quantify. It's 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 bigger than numbers. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so true, so true. Were there challenges in composing the memoir? Oh well, I didn't realize at first. It was in the rewriting that I faced my biggest challenge, and uh, that's when I realized uh, that I took... I've got to say, I spent three years writing the first draft. Of course, there were interruptions, but I think of it as three years. And when I finished, I knew something was missing, but I didn't know what. And then I was led to an editor, Morgan Farley, and (laughs) gave her this huge manuscript, and she said, I know exactly what's missing. And we, I mean, this was after 
two weeks, and then we got together again. <clears throat> and she said, for, she said, for starters, she said, you have four books in one. But <laughs> 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 oh, just because my, God, my goddaughter said, oh, surely you have to write about Joe, my first husband. About, he mm-hmm, was, mm-hmm. She was crazy about him. So I wrote about Joe, and I wrote about my Greek lover and my troubled mother. So I had this huge <laughs> manuscript. <laughs> so... So Morgan says, I suggest you go with, since I made a note of the number of pages in each one of these, and I suggest Uh you go with the one with the most pages, because I think that's where your energy is. So that's that's how I got started, and then then the rewriting started, and I had had told what I'm calling the visible story. There was a lot of drama in this, particularly, uh, well, there was just a lot of drama, and I wanted to get it all down. And I had emails and a detailed journal, and I, I just put it up. But I had not told the inside story. And those were the suppressed f- feelings that I had suppressed. Mm-hmm. And um, Morgan, through her questions, guided me to that story. And um, and because there was a lot there was a lot missing and that was that was that was a big thing that was the and i was also um learned that you know it's important to reflect on experiences mm-hmm. uh from where we are now in mm-hmm. a memoir in any case not necessarily in a novel no but uh in a memoir yes and um and that that gives that gives the writer insight into a lot going on too. So, <laughs> so um, true. That That's was true. that was my my challenge, and and then you know I had to. Um, there was a lot missing, not just the inside story, but sure. I had to learn the techniques of fiction writing to make my memoir come alive. And it's creating sure. scenes, character through dialogue, showing, not telling, and mm-hmm. um, I. I it, it was wonderful that, and it, that, fortunately, that wasn't that wasn't very that was not hard for me. The hardest part was going inside because I'm not by nature uh, particularly introspective, but mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I found I could be with the questions my editor asked me. So very interesting. Well, the very first draft is obviously raw emotions, and you were just sort of transferring your thoughts onto paper. I'm sure that's why it has so many volumes in it in terms of different books and so forth. And then, of course, you end up talking to a businesswoman there. So she's looking at, <laughs> I'm just kidding. My Cajun mom always <laughs> say, find humor in everything that you do. So I'm trying to do that respectfully. <laughs> you know how it is? Oh, let's slice this. Let's slice that and so forth. But I'm just kidding. But in all actuality, it's true because you're a writer. You wrote everything from beginning to the end. In terms of, like every writing, there's the beginning and there's the ending. You kind of just went from A to B and put everything in there. You and I have talked about this before, prior to us getting on the air. It's difficult because when we talk about ourselves, how much do we really want to put it out there in terms of those moments? The interesting thing about it is that the ones that we didn't put in are the ones that are actually the most memorable moments. Well, you know, Johnny, uh, I... I decided that, uh, and I, as I mentioned to you before, that if, 
you know, if I wasn't hurting anybody else, then I should just mm-hmm. come out with the truth. And right. someone asked me, uh, did you have any qualms about revealing the intimacies that you revealed? And I said, right. yes, initially I did. But then when when Editor Morgan asked me questions, I felt I had to answer. And the more yeah. I answered, I the more comfortable I was with yeah. with just being truthful, <laughs> just mm-hmm. being open. <laughs> Very, very interesting. How did you adjust your writing style? I know you talked a little bit about having to adopt the writing a novel concept, writing fiction, because you do have to have that. It's a flavored writing in a way. But in terms of just your natural writing ability, in terms of now you are approaching personal memoir, that's what you're writing. You're writing about you rather than something else. But to me, in the end, I mean, it's about storytelling in so many ways. And it was it was different. I was not accustomed to writing about myself. I mean, mm-hmm. travel writing, they were my perceptions, but I right. wasn't accustomed to writing about myself. And I would say my voice uh, changed considerably because I, it was pretty dispassionate. In business writing, you know, the writer really doesn't have much of a voice unless you're an editorial writer. Right, uh, right. But if you're just reporting, you just want the facts and you want mm-hmm. them to be clear and logical and all this. And here, it, you want expressed feelings and, and thoughts. And it, it, it's a mix of the, the two, a layering of, of, uh, of feelings. And, and I, I learned that, you know, it, it's good to, to not just tell what you're feeling, mm-hmm. but to show it through bodily actions or, you know, instead of, he was angry, or just you mm-hmm. could say his face was red. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. That conveys mm-hmm. the, it conveys something that you know it conveys anger, or you know my stomach was churning instead of saying <laughs> I, I felt so upset. You know, but yeah. um, so I I, uh, I I just learned to to think about a lot of different ways of expression, different kinds of expression. And um, there's a wonderful author, Natalie Goldberg, who's written a book called Writing Down the Bones, and she talks about, you know, describing emotions mm-hmm. without telling what they are, just through bodily <laughs> action. Interesting. <laughs> and someone's tried to write a book completely like that and maybe succeeded, but I don't, I, not I. <laughs> what got me into writing was i forgot his name now i read his book which is quick sweet and simple if you can talk you could write oh (laughs) (laughs) really i like that quick sweet and simple (laughs) straight to the point if you can talk you could write put it down on paper (laughs) (laughs) and that brings me to this question for you did you use the writing as a therapeutic process for you in itself well, you know, the the writing, in a real sense, it was therapeutic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think I can say it saved my life. That would right, be too right. strong. Yeah. But but it helped me keep moving. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and I came away. I told you how I I was concerned about John's behavior toward mm-hmm. me and all of this. And I mm-hmm. just, I came away with a much more nuanced and complex understanding of John, who he was in himself and in his relationship with me. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. so that, 
you know, and I also came away, I mean, I saw, he had dreams. I mean, we all have dreams, mm-hmm. or most of mm-hmm. us have dreams, and it, and it, I, after he died, I, I felt like I, I should try to fulfill some of his dreams for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he mm-hmm. wanted a solo photography show, and he was offered one posthumously, and but then I realized that I wasn't going to to be able to carry out his unfulfilled dreams and that I had to have dreams of my own. Right. And uh, I took to heart his motto that life interferes with plans, but it's important to have plans. And um, so through the writing, I became comfortable. I saw that I, I'm, it wasn't the writing, but I, it was the writing reflects that I became comfortable as a survivor, finally. And uh, I was able to step out of my cocoon of grief and really find joy in just being alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. it was a process. I say this respectfully again. I believe in reading your book and you going through the process of really putting this thing out on paper and organizing it, so to speak. Then you realize that John, in many ways, were living in the present moment in the time. Yes, we plan for tomorrow because hope really pushes me to live another day. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. And in this case, I think you realize that from his perspective, the moment he has been diagnosed prior to even meeting you, his days may not necessarily be as infinite so to speak, because I've got people in my life that I've encountered that thought process are very different. I'm an empath. I could kind of really see the change, very subtle, but all of a sudden right now, they're telling you whether you like it or not, whether you're crawling, you are speeding your way, the end zone is right up ahead. Yeah. And so the thought process is a little bit different. I think so. I mean, it must be dramatically different. I, mm-hmm. I, I used to, um, I mean, John was very forward-focused in the sense yeah. of uh, he, he had plans. And, but what was interesting is that if, if something happened to those, I mean, he, he, he didn't then mope or, or talk. It's no big deal. Let's move on. About it. He kept yes. going on to other plans. Yeah. I mean, he Precisely. just kept going. Which it, I think is what you have observed. It's interesting when the end zone, when when you can see mm-hmm. the end zone, and you don't want to focus on it, but it means that everything between now and the end zone takes That's on. That's what a matters. <laughs> matter, yeah, it matters. Don't take too long of a pit stop. You right. wasted your time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Get those tires on, off and yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because as a kid, we live in the present moment. But as adults, we're not. We're either living in the past or in the future. Things have to happen to us to kind of put us back to perspective to whereby what really matters actually is here now. Yes, you're right, Johnny. Of course, when we're, and when we're children, it seems as though we have all the time in the world. I mean, I, mm-hmm. it seemed endless because, of course, we've experienced so very little, too. Right, that, right. Most of us at that point. And uh, you're right in, in Someone, I was in a Zen practice recently, and, and mm-hmm. I remember someone saying, oh, um, this young fellow said afterwards, and we were talking about our experience, he said, I kept getting intrude, I, I was intruded upon by these awful things someone said to me today at work. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the facilitator.
commentator said, well, often, she says, when we think about the past, it's with regret. We think mm-hmm. about the future, it's with anxiety. So mm-hmm. just when those thoughts come during your, appear during your practice, just note them and file them away, like mm-hmm. past, future, and, and don't think about them then. Yeah. It, and then you're, you're, it's the, this quest to be present mm-hmm. in the moment, I guess. Yeah. How do you define love? That's, uh, you know, uh, it's, there's so many ways of defining love, and there are all kinds of love, as you know. Um, I think it's a, a deeply um, tender, passionate affection for another person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be a, a feeling of uh, attachment or deep affection for, you know, for a parent, a child, or a friend. And, but I think it's I, sexual passion or desire, and, and, and then it can be a person you can call person love, and that's someone mm-hmm. for whom you feel love. But I, I think it's this profoundly tender, affectionate, passionate affection for another person uh, relative to my book. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I ask that question is, you talk about the fact that you were sort of blown away when you met John. And it's interesting, this is from a guy's perspective. If you live in the now, if I like to give you a kiss, I'll give it now, not wait till tomorrow, especially in my situation, I may not see tomorrow. Versus, say, someone, like you say, who looks down as far as the eyes can see, and I can't see the end zone yet, there's no rush. Right. So you were living in the moment at that time, and I say this respectfully because I'm not there. I'm just saying in terms of in reading and understanding what you were talking about, where you question yourself in terms of being overwhelmed and like, whoa, I got swept away, because that in some ways, that's the true beauty of love. And then at the same time, he was living in the now. He, was, he, was, he, he really was moving at a much faster tempo than I. Precisely. And I, now I understand. I mean, I didn't really understand mm-hmm. that then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but I, I, I think I caught up with him eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we all do. I mean, don't get me wrong. I guess I'm just trying to explain myself. And speaking to someone of your background and of your experience, and I think the beauty of it us making sense of sometimes why things happen the way it happened. And then now looking back, hindsight, like they always say, is twenty twenty, And then yeah. you can realize that, was I blindsided? Was I blown away? And all this sort of uh, wonderful words that we can use. In all actuality, you guys were, at that time, you were experiencing love in the present moment. It's very interesting. I, I think I, yeah. Yes, well, we were, we were, I, and, and eventually we both were. <laughs> oh, I, mean, I think you, you asked, I said, when did you ask, when did you realize you were in love? You asked me, yeah. and I, 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 I think it was a few minutes before I asked John to marry me. <laughs> oh, I think that's when I had caught up with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Shirley Millis. She is a longtime business writer, travel writer, and newspaper columnist who had traveled the world interviewing 
everyone from busboys to heads of international organizations before launching a career in public relations. Shirley and I are discussing her recently released memoir, Bang Up Hard, Dancing with Love and Loss. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Shirley, we talk about hope and faith and so forth. How is your view? How do you look at hope? I, I think it's a feeling that, um, you know, that what is wanted can be had or realized or that, and that events will turn out for the best. Um, and it's, it's a looking forward with desire uh, and reasonable confidence. And uh, I think that's how I would define it. Very interesting. In writing the memoir, obviously, as you put things down on paper, you were going through some emotional time itself because you have to sort of recollect all the different things in life that you all have shared together and so forth, the good and ugly in some ways. But in the process, you're going through what I felt like maybe a journey, sort of an inquiry minds wants to know. It's that curiosity part of the equation. And so that you actually have a better understanding after the fact than before. Yes. Yes. Um, and, you, you know, it was, um, yes, and actually it, it was in part, it was in, in the rewriting that this really mm-hmm. became uh, apparent to me mm-hmm. when I really stopped to reflect on what had happened uh, after the fact from where I was now. And, um, you know, you, the, um, you, you asked, I don't know, you asked about uh, was it difficult to keep writing? Yes, because, because of in terms anger. of the process that you realize you were on this journey subconsciously and consciously perhaps, the big question is why? Mm-hmm. I had to figure I had to figure out. I just had to mm-hmm. figure out what had happened to me. I had to be able to see it and to feel right. it. And um and I felt compelled to to write right through it all. And um as I you know, I had not read many novels. I was a history major in college, and mm-hmm. so I had a healthy regard for original sources. So I had mm-hmm. all these I mentioned the emails and the journals. So um I I just I, I relived a lot of it as in I as I was writing it the first time and then rewriting, um, but you know it was going below the surface that really um, made the uh, memoir what it is. The reason why I'm asking that question or allude to that is simply because the fact that it's quite interesting when we look back your writing from a professional perspective, whether it's a business or travel writer, is to get to the root of the situation, whether you're writing it based on your perspective about this place, whether one should or should not visit it, or relaying the facts about a business concept and so forth. That sort of, not necessarily from an investigative kind of a approach, in a way that underlying energy was there in terms of your situation when you wrote this little memoir about your experience. I may be wrong here, but I felt like that was the journey you went on, and it was good. In the end, it ended up very well. It was it was a search for, the, as you would say, the root of the matter. I mean, and yeah. it turns out that, they're, they're, that there's more than one root, but it was, mm-hmm. uh, it's, 
I was on a quest. I was mm-hmm. trying to to put in perspective what had happened and sort of maybe the decisions I had made and uh, and then try to see, you know, what did why did I do what I did and, and right. how how <laughs> it, 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 you know one question leads to another too. But I was trying to to get it all. No one could have written it any better than you can because of the subconscious sort of uh, layout that you have, that you have worked off in your writing over the years. I hope that makes sense, what I'm talking about. Right. I mean, we're, we're all individual. We, we do bring your style. something like yeah. this, our individual yeah. subconscious. True. Yeah. I mean, it's in a very good way. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <It's> a, no. <laughs> uh, uh, you don't have to it, apologize. <laughs> <laughs> in the end, you realize that, wow, I see it now, so to speak. And it was mm. all good. Well, you know, I, I, <laughs> I did, I did see myself in different. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Johnny, the, what I found when I, I think you asked, how, did this transform me in some way? Yes. And yeah. I, I was stronger than I knew I was. I mean, mm-hmm. I, that's one of the things I saw, and I also saw that I was uh, resilient and. Um, and some people would say courageous. I don't know. I, I find that hard to sort of accept, but I, mm-hmm. I think I am resilient. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, well. I agree with you. I think resilient is perfect, but at the same time, one can be resilient for the wrong reason. In your case, I think you were resilient for the right reason because there was a sense of calmness and understanding over the three-year period as you wrote everything that came to mind, it was a wonderful process in terms of seeing life as it is. I love the word dancing with love and loss because it is a dance. And in dancing, there is a leading and following. There were times when you were leading and there were times when you were following. Oh, I hadn't thought about that, leading and following aspect. That's very... That's insightful, I think. <laughs> That's true. I, it, yeah. that, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. I had visualized, you know, the moving between love and loss and... Right. And, uh, you know, the, the sort of the mm-hmm. flexibility of doing that. Yeah. And, of yeah. course, it was Anne Lamott who, who wrote the beautiful passage mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. losing someone beloved, and then you learn to dance with a banged up heart and that mm-hmm. was the source of my title mm-hmm. and my subtitle but I like that leading following equation sure. because this is a couple's journey and yeah. as you went into it and you realized there was this beautiful dance after all but when you were in it you can't see it right 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 <laughs> what mm. advice do you have for people suffering from loss of loved ones Oh, well, first of all, I, I think um, if, you, if you're suffering the loss of someone uh, beloved, allow yourself to grieve. And um, whether it's unexpected or anticipated, the loss is real. It's almost like a part of you has been cut away, and, and you're, left, you're bleeding. Um, and your ability to think may be distorted by the pain of the loss, um, I um, 
If you have a good friend who offers to help you uh, drive to appointments, take you to dinner, be sure to accept. And, you know, sometimes friends who have never experienced the loss of a beloved one don't know what to say or do. I mean, they want to ease your pain, but they have no mm-hmm. idea what. And but don't be afraid to ask for their help. I mean, uh, take comfort in their gifts of food, <laughs> flowers, hearts. <laughs> um, you know, and after my first husband died, I was working, and I felt fortunate to be able, in retrospect, to be able to go back to work, to a structure that let me focus on something other than myself and my grief. Now, at the same time, I think that delayed my engaging with my grief. But at the time, I thought it was good to be able to go back to work. And um, I would say if you can, join a grief group, um, see a therapist. The, in a grief group, you hear other people's stories and you learn empathy. And you also learn that you're not alone. You know, loss is happens to everyone unless i guess if unless you're a hermit in a cave somewhere but um and with a therapist you can explore the roots of of your anguish and something you might not want to uh do alone and and shouldn't try to do with good friends because grief can be a very heavy burden it can be overwhelming for others um and then and then there's this thing i just sorry i just have to mention People mm-hmm. about closure, and yeah. people say, "Oh, if you can talk about it, then then you're through with it, and it's over and done with." Well, I don't think that that the loss and grief are really done with. I don't think you can put them away. I think you sort of put them aside, but they're part of you, um, and uh, it's what makes you, if you've experienced this, who you are, and. I think you you don't keep talking about those that you've lost, but you keep them in. So, I mm-hmm. that's what I would say uh, about you know to people who are suffering loss. And, so uh, true, and there's not really, really a specific time that you have to go through in terms of, well, you only have one year, six months, three months. Take as much time as you want because it's up to you. I would say, don't you think? Yes, I don't. There's no timeline on anything. I mean, after after the death of my first husband, a year later, I thought I was doing pretty well, and then I went mm-hmm. to, for my annual physical, and two doctors they just asked, "Oh, so what's happened to you this past year, Shirley?" And then I said, <laughs> I blurted out, "My husband died," and I just started sobbing uncontrollably. And they, both of them asked, are you seeing anyone? Are you, I said, no, no. And it was, so it was a year later after my husband Joe died that I joined a grief group and I mm-hmm. sought out a mm-hmm. therapist. So, um, <laughs> you know, and his death was sudden and quite shocking to me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. John's was, was uh, anticipated. But mm-hmm. in both cases, I, I felt bereft and I did grieve. Um, but at some point, I, I said, how am I going to be known? Am I just going to be Joe's widow or John's widow? And if so, I yeah. can just put on black and say, be done with it. But I, I said, <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm, going to have, I'm going to have my dreams. I'm going to have dream, other dreams, and I'm going to keep going. I wanted, I wanted to survive, and I want to thrive. And mm-hmm. 
I I was able to I'm sorry I, through the rewriting and all I was able mm-hmm. to sort of open my heart and to breathe again and um, and to and and now I'm 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 very happy I feel I'm thriving uh, in my third marriage mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it's all good and if you don't you know it's I think people need to not be afraid of of right. risk. They need sure. to take a chance because you might lose a very enriching life. And even with loss, there are gains. I mean, mm-hmm. even though John and I were together a short time, uh, it was a, a tremendously enriching the short time we were together. And, of course, with my first husband, which is a long marriage, I, it, mm-hmm. it was wonderful. And and now I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm sort of just relishing being alive and uh, mm-hmm. and I do think people should do what they're passionate about. I mean, mm-hmm. for me it's it's writing and for someone else it might be playing a musical instrument uh yeah. or sharing recipes in his mama's kitchen. I mean, it's just <laughs> whatever is your passion, pursue it. So true. What would you like for the readers to gain from reading Bang Up Hot? Um well, you know, I didn't write it to provide lessons for anyone. It's mm-hmm. sort of the simply my story of what I experienced. But if a reader can take away the importance or the value of taking a risk, um, a risk on love, uh, uh, I think that's, that's, that's good. I mean, I just, um, I do also think people have to make wise choices, too. I mean, mm-hmm. You said something about, you know, sometimes taking time to get to know someone, six months, a year, whatever, and even then that might not be enough. <laughs> I, 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 you know, there are, there are surprises whenever you're in a relationship. I mean, it works both ways. There are things, you know, pe- people don't know about the other ones. Um, and some of them are, you know, maybe not ne- not worth knowing. But um, if, you, if you can make a wise decision... Do take risks and don't be afraid of loss because it's it can make your life so so enriching to to open your heart to another person. Someone can take that away. That, that would make me feel feel that it, feel good. <laughs> Wonderful. Where can someone go to get more information about you, buy your book, and keep up with your latest happenings? Johnny, they can go. People can go to my website. It's www. Dot com. It's S H I R L E Y M E L I S, and there they will find out more about my memoir, more about me, and uh, and upcoming or and past appearances. Uh, I've been doing a number of, of readings, uh, and there's a blog uh, of on various topics. So. Um, and they can find my book at independent bookstores. It's it's on Amazon, um, and I think that's so. My website's a good source. Fantastic. We're coming close to the end of the hour. Since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Yes, my re- recipe for living life is open your heart to others, take risks on love but choose wisely and engage in something that you're passionate about. 
That's my recipe. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Shirley, thank you for the wonderful recipes for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, August 22nd. My guest will be Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be discussing Chicken Soup's latest release, a couple of very entertaining books for pet lovers. Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Cat Really Did That, and Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Dog Really Did That. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed week. Shirley, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and have a blessed day. Johnny, thank you so much for this opportunity to be on your show and talk, spend this hour with you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mom Zone. Breaking news, the Fremont family declares where they're going for back to school. The Fremonts are going with Academy. Uh, Mrs. Fremont, why Academy over another store? When my kids say they'll never use math in the real world, I just show them how low my Academy receipt is. You have any other thoughts? Look, back to school is a numbers game, and numbers don't lie. Nobody starts your season with better brands and lower prices than Academy. Academy Sports and Outdoors. For all, for less. Price match guarantee details at Academy.com. It's Mom Zone. Breaking news, the Fremont family declares where they're going for back to school. The Fremonts are going with Academy. Uh, Mrs. Fremont, why Academy over another store? When my kids say they'll never use math in the real world, I just show them how low my Academy receipt is. You have any other thoughts? Look, back to school is a numbers game, and numbers don't lie. Nobody starts your season with better brands and lower prices than Academy. Academy Sports and Outdoors. For all, for less. Price match guarantee details at Academy.com.